2: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, September 22nd. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Nancy Mullen. Our topic today, the importance of nutritional treatment. Dr. Nancy Mullen received her medical degree from Tufts, completed a residency in psychiatry and fellowship in child psychiatry at the University of Chicago Hospitals and Clinics, and began a private practice in adult and child psychiatry. Dr. Mullen attended the Chicago Institute for Psychoanalysis and was an associate attending physician at Michael Reese Hospital and Medical Center, where she became a clinical instructor in psychosomatic medicine. After coming to Los Angeles, Dr. Mullen joined the staff at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center and was a clinical instructor at the UCLA School of Medicine. She became an attending physician at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in pursuing psychosomatic medicine. Currently, Dr. Mullen is practicing nutritional medicine and psychiatry in Burbank, treating children on the autism spectrum and adults with physiologically-based emotional disorders. To our listeners, if we run long, then this interview might go to two parts, concluding in two weeks, with Chef Wendell Fowler talking next week about Whole Foods in between Dr. Mullen's segments. Dr. Mullen, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Let's go back in history a bit. Within the last century, please explain the transition from psychoanalysis to the use of psychotropic drugs. Well, um, psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic
3: type treatments really came into prominence at the end of the 19th century. And then during the 20th century, especially during the first half, they were, psychoanalytic theory and treatments were the predominant um, modality of treating psychiatric disorder. It was all we had at that point. However, by about the mid-1950s, they reached the limit. They reached a a diminishing point of returns, and uh, academicians and other research clinicians started to look around for other options. And about 1953, the first major tranquilizer, which was Thorazine, was um, put into clinical use, and that was that started a revolution in the treatment of psychotic thought disorder. Um, and then, by the end of the 20th century, psychopharmacology was the choice of the mainstream for treatment of psychiatric illness. Autism and ADHD were considered psychiatric illnesses are still considered psychiatric illnesses, but um, but now psychiatry en masse has made the determination that psychiatric illnesses are disorders of the brain instead of disorders of the mind. And so they are, you know, attempting to uh, treat them with uh, medications, which um, is very simplistic, but... We'll, we'll just I'll just leave that. We'll get back to that, no doubt.
2: We'll get back to tranquilizers in a little while, but you were a by-the-book psychoanalyst. What motivated you to jump ship and see outside the box? Well, uh, two things. Um, the
3: first were, were the patients that I couldn't treat. You know, there is a certain – there is actually a technique to psychoanalysis. It's not just uh, – it's not nothing – and so you learn the techniques and and you're listening to a patient and you are uh, you are applying what is called free floating attention to that patient to what they're saying and then your uh, you know trained skilled psychoanalytic mind makes an intervention that's what you say to the patient and the intervention is meant to open up some insight on the part of the patient, to open up the patient's mind, and um, and it does that and, or, or not, and you learn something from that, but that then brings about some change in the state, the patient's state, in the way that the patient was feeling. Well, if you do that a number of times and the patient just keeps going back and back and back to the way they were feeling, then you start you know, going back to a bad state of feeling rather than the more positive, optimistic state that you had brought him to with your intervention, then you start feeling like there's biology involved here. So, um, and and that is what mainline doctors have started feeling also. Mainline uh, psychiatrists were, you know, getting kind of tired of uh, having... Of you know making interventions and repeating interventions, and then having the patient go back to feeling bad, you know it didn't work entirely so uh, that was one thing, but the other thing was okay, so that so it came clear that there was a biology, but um, i i was never I would never have been inclined to treat a biology with pharmaceuticals. my family. I I didn't recognize it then, but now looking back, I can see that the family I was raised in were, let's say, um, well, you could say anti-pharmaceutical, but maybe it wasn't that strong. My, My mother just really leaned away from the use of pharmaceuticals because of their side effects and the problems associated with them, and she was right, as it turned out. Well... My mother made another important intervention. Um, I, around, uh, oh, in midlife, started to have endometriosis, and um, you know it's always something as you get in, in late thirties, forties, kind of. Um, and so I w- I am, I can run really high anxiety levels for nothing. So I am not your allopathic surgery candidate. That's for sure. So. Um, so I started looking into vitamins and nutrition, and I monkeyed around with it for about four years with vitamins and got nowhere. So I was just about ready to, um, you know, let them take that ovary out when uh, my mother came for a visit and brought a book. She said, you know, Nancy, your cousin is seeing this doctor in New York, and um she showed me what the doctor was doing, and it was, it was he had written a book called The Immune Power Diet, and it was one of the first elimination diets, the first recognitions of I, IgG, as in Gregory Immunoglobulin G, food allergy, or food reactivity, and uh, what this book suggested was that you eliminate wheat, soy. Corn, egg, dairy, baker's and brewers yeast, and sugar. well, you think about that and I mean that 's everything in your diet practically if you're eating any kind of normal you know if you're eating a, any kind of regular diet that's a lot that 's a major change in your diet but i I click I read the book, and i thought well wow, if it can if these foods can cause problems in all the different organ systems. Uh, that the book described, then it could certainly cause endometriosis. And so I went on the diet and within twenty four hours I had the the endometrio the pain from the lesion had stopped and um it took me a little longer than that to get the ovary back and get it to kick over and and get it to function. But um uh that was a major lesson that I um, took with me, and that was my first that was the start of my exploration into alternative medicine. so those are the things that um, you know let me know that uh, biology and what what we eat and what our nutrition is has a tremendous impact on physical and mental health. Wow, and what was the name of that book again? It's called "The Immune Power Diet." by Stuart Berger, but it's old. It's like 30 years old now. Oops. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but anyway, it's old, and so I doubt that you'll even find it, but it's just a description of a uh, elimination diet.
2: Okay. So we talked about how the mainstream went from a, a total emphasis on psychoanalysis to the use uh, of psychotropic drugs as well. When did nutrition come into the picture and for which allegedly mental disorders were nutritional therapies used successfully? Well, Abram Hoffer
3: is called the father of of um orthomolecular psychiatry, okay? Abram Hoffer in the started experimenting in the 1950s again at the same time. I mean, everybody was really searching for a solution to um, psychotic thought disorder because it was such a problem. It's such a problem. It's such a life destroyer. And um, anyway, he was in Canada, Saskatchewan, a very remote province of Canada, freezing cold. Anyway, uh, he was in Canada and was the medical director of a psych an inpatient psychiatric unit. So he started experimenting on schizophrenia and. Uh, Which is, of course, a psychotic thought disorder, and um, other like manic depressive psychosis. There is bipolar disorder, which is um, you know high and low kind of mental states. But then there, and then the corresponding more serious psychotic thought disorder is manic depressive disorder, and that. that is really uh sometimes indistinguishable from schizophrenia, and then there there are other psychotic thought disorders, like for example, you know there's not one autism depending upon your genetics and the um the uh bacteria in your internal environment and the other factors in your in en- other environmental factors. autism has many different causes. Um, same with schizophrenia. There is not just one schizophrenia or one cause of psychotic thought disorder. But anyway, so Hoffer was working with the more serious thought disorders because of the fact that he um, was the, the uh, director of an inpatient unit, and that's what his interests were. I'm sure that in his office practice, he also dealt with neurotic disorders. Oh, Yes.
2: All right. We will pick up with this after the break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern day renaissance man, Ori Hoffmechler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within. Your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within. Broadcasts Live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival.
2: Before the break, we were talking with Dr. Nancy Mullen, who was telling us about Dr. Abram Hoffer's work up in Canada. And Dr. Mullen, what were the specific allergies and nutritional deficiencies? Just backtracking a little, you were naming a lot of psychotic thought disorders, the labels for them that Dr. Hoffer saw. Um, But what were the specific allergies and nutritional deficiencies that Hoffer's research team addressed and how did they address them? Well, what they found
3: um was well if they that they found by accident that when they withdrew food from patients, the patients often got better and and what they started to do were four day water fasts um, and and then they would introduce substances back one at a time and um make discernments about what was causing the thought disorder, in one woman, it was aspirin. She was frequently taking aspirin for some problem she had. And it wasn't a food, it was aspirin that made her psychotic. For many other patients, in, in schizophrenia, which is a wastebasket term, like autism, it's a wastebasket term for psychotic disorder of adulthood, um, uh, in schizophrenia, it was, it was gluten. That's who made it. Was Hoffer who first made the discernment that gluten was a problem, that it was a hard to digest grain and caused trouble. Four percent of psychotic thought disorder can be eliminated by eliminating gluten from the patient's diet. Well, now we know that gluten cross-reacts. Gluten being the um, the protein fraction of wheat, rye, barley, oat camet, spelt, triticale, and amaranth. Um, Now we know that gluten also cross-reacts with casein, casein being the protein fraction of dairy, cow, goat, or sheep, any kind of dairy. Someone once asked me, does camel milk have uh, casein in it? I don't know, but a camel is a mammal, Um, so probably. I don't know, though. But anyway, um and then and then we know now that it also cross reacts with soy. So we're eliminating in these in today we eliminate gluten casein gluten casein and soy. Tough. It's really tough to do, but um it's it's worth it to have your mental health. Anyway, and then so those okay, and then he started experimenting with high, really high-dose niacin, vitamin B3. Niacin is really important for many reactions in the body, among them the Krebs citric acid cycle, uh, the Krebs citric acid cycle being the energy production cycle in our body, which takes place in our mitochondria. You've heard a lot recently about mitochondrial disorder. So he experimented with very, very high-dose niacin and found... That that brought some psycho- some people with psychotic thought disorder out out of it, and then then very rapidly after that he started using vitamin C and B complex and A and D in general he sw- and and a multi mineral you know he didn't stay with just single vitamin supplementation for very long. Um, because other, you know, because of the work of Linus Pauling and also Carl Pfeiffer, um, other doctors came along who were investigating the same area, and um, the discernments were made that you just—it's not any one vitamin; it's the proper balance of the different vitamins for the individual.
2: All right. Are there metabolic similarities between what's called autism and what's called schizophrenia? Uh,
3: there are, well, the genetics can be similar. The genetics comes, looks as if it is going to come down to that methylation pathway again. That, and whether, how well your methionine cycle functions to make methyl groups. And if it isn't doing that very well, what are the problems? It's also clear that the incapacity to to digest and metabolize gluten, casein, and soy are similar. That's not necessarily a metabolic similarity. That's just kind of a – that's kind of an uh, – it's more that gluten, casein, and soy – When in when poorly digested will produce byproducts that impact produce opiate-like byproducts that impact your capacity to think. So I guess that is a metabolic similarity, but it's more it comes down to that methyl group and what you individually have been exposed to, and or and can tolerate genetically.
2: Well. It sounds kind of like an environmental artifact, and and we know that genetics aren't destiny. Um, anybody's genetics are going to be affected if you throw some cyanide at them. Am I hitting the nail on the head here?
3: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Genetics are not destiny. It's true. Um, how uh, especially the genetics of schizophrenia or autism. I mean, the, these are getting worked out now. Not really so much in mainstream medicine. It'll come. They will. Um, they will see the light. But um, for for those of us familiar with Richard Duth work and, and Amy Yasker's work, um, and Jill James' work, uh, we really can make our way through this methylation issue um, if the patient will be patient. You know, the patient and the the patient's family will be patient enough to um, do the. Nutrition and do the testing we can make our way for that individual.
2: well, it sounds like uh our more recent average diets are walloping us um, horrific there's a a tech good scientific term or walloping us. Why have we gotten so far away from sane and healthful nutrition?
3: Um, well i i I think it's because of the profit motive. You know, it's, it's, it's profitable to sell us stuff that, like MSG, that we'll get addicted to and buy more of it and eat more of it. And I don't know, it's also profitable perhaps to make us sick. I hate to say it. I mean, I, I sound awful. I sound so cynical. But, um I think, uh, at this point, certain doctors are recognizing, um that you can't just eat anything or do anything to your body and maintain health. So, but I, I, on the part of the food industry, uh, feeding us refined food and packaged food and food with phenomenal shelf life, you know, has, has to do with profit as opposed to health. And if you look around, you'll see a number of other things that unfortunately have to do with profit as, a, as opposed to health. So, and it's, and the exploitation of the soil, the fact that our food contains um, so much less nutrition now than it did at the, at the beginning of the 20th century because of the, uh, you know, repeated farming of the soil and the non replacement of minerals in the soil. Um, and then trans fats. Now, trans fats are a direct product of profit motive because trans fats prolong the shelf life of the food which is not in anybody's interest. Trans fats don't work well for your brain but they do work well for mo- food manufacturers so I'm just I guess we have to come down to profit motive there.
2: Well you were alluding to organic farming uh, there a moment ago and I just happened to have a quote in front of me. I didn't know you were going to talk about that but Um, Just to share what organic means, and according to the Soil Association, pesticides are severely restricted. Instead, organic farmers develop nutrient-rich soil to grow strong, healthy crops and encourage wildlife to help control pests and disease, and artificial chemical fertilizers are prohibited. Instead, organic farmers develop a healthy, fertile soil by growing and rotating a mixture of crops to fix nitrogen from the atmosphere. And we all know that the corporations are trying to stomp out the little farmers. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. And
3: we'll, we'll do our best to stop it. I, I, you know, any, it's anybody's call as to how it's going to go because money is really powerful. You know, Food and Drug Administration, right there. Two huge lobbies. Huge. So I, you know, sort of, well, Uh, When I tell parents, you know, eat organic, some of them really roll their eyes back in their head because they've been told that organic is just, it's not any better than any other kind of food and and they just can't relate to the idea. And then I tell them, look, um, you know, if something has been well farmed, it will have taste because the minerals in the food give it its taste.
2: Yep.
3: Right? Yep. So if you're eating a food that doesn't have any taste, um, you know. It doesn't have any minerals in it. And then your body, you're putting something in your body that's going to use nutrition and that's not going to supply your body with nutrition. So, you know, you're depleting the nutrition in your body.
2: What a good point. What a really good point. A really good way to tell.
3: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you just look for taste. And so even like, if you're at Whole Foods... Or any other um, any other small market. If the food has taste, like organic, right now, in order to label something organic, it has to meet very stringent criteria. So something can be conventionally grown and be reasonable to eat. Does it have does and taste? Especially in fruit, for example, is usually accompanied by smell. How does it sniff? Does it does it have uh, the aroma that that particular fruit should have? Um uh then it probably has minerals it'll have some food value,
2: and you made a really good point too about the fact that if you eat these foods that are uh, tasteless and depleted of minerals, then your body's actually you're burdening your body it actually has to work to digest these things um, without giving it back the nutrition that it needs and um Some number of decades ago, uh, it had been discovered that eating cooked food caused an increase in the body's white cell count, but that eating raw, unaltered food didn't cause this adverse immune reaction in the blood. That speaks to the value of raw food.
3: Mm -hmm. They say try to eat 50% of your food raw. That's a lot, but uh, it's it is a good thing. Cause cooking is one more process, and uh, and so we kind of just go back to nature.
2: And greens are very important.
3: Greens are very important.
2: Contain valuable nutrients, compatible with what with what humans need. People
3: with impaired digestion, though, will not be able to digest a lot of raw foods. They're going to have to use soups and broths. They're going to have to, you know, extract their nutrition out of the food and also, um, also use, they're going to have to use nutritional supplementation and kinds of nutritional supplementation that are easily absorbed.
2: What we do, because you're right, you do have to chew it sufficiently, especially, you know, oh, we'll talk more about smoothies uh, when we get back. Okay. With Dr. Nancy Mullen and thank you to our sponsor, Enzamedica. We'll be right back.
1: Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley right here on Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Dr. Nancy Mullen. We're talking about the importance of nutritional treatment. And right before the break, I started telling you about smoothies. And Dr. Mullen um, correctly observed that um, the the raw foods, need, vegetables, need to be broken down enough. That's true. They need to be sufficiently chewed. The hydrochloric acid in the stomach needs to be strong, which, by the way, is not to be um, confused with the healthier state of having an overall alkaline body, pH balance but to get around if a person doesn't chew very very thoroughly to a creamy consistency or um, you don't want to have to worry about what your stomach ph is at that given moment you can use a blender what we do uh, on this end is that we use a blender and you want to use a blender that has a high speed blender at high speed or another blender with consistently sharp blades and um Blend these, the greens and such up until a fine consistency. Um, and individuals should keep in mind um, if they have any sort of issues with oxalates, and um, some individuals have issues with phenols and their digestive enzymes for those. But um, this is really something uh, to look into a more healthful diet. Uh, greens for your child instead of sugary snacks. What do you think, Dr. Muller? I totally agree, 100%. Greens, once again, though, greens are
3: not that easily digested. And if you pay attention, how well do you chew? I definitely notice myself not chewing. Um, you know, I, I read an article on chewing, <laughs> just chewing. You're supposed to chew every mouthful 30 times. I never chew every mouthful 30 times, Even having, you know, even knowing that. So um and so greens I mean I I just greens are very important and for the most part people don't eat enough leafy greens but and also they are not well digested they are not infrequently found coming out whole in the stool so um vitamin supplementation is absolutely necessary you'll never Vitamin supplementation will not hurt will not help if your diet is totally bleak, you know, totally bad diet. That it will not do it. It will not make the difference. But if you're eating a reasonable diet and you have gastrointestinal tract issues so that you as as most autistic and and people with psychiatric illness do um you will do well to supplement, even if you're chewing and and blending and but it, it is a really blending is no question a really good way and juicing and cooking vegetables in a broth in a in a soup, cooking the vegetables way down and uh eating and drinking the broth is another way to go if your digestion is really impaired, but raw is better than cooked well, for, for many foods
2: blending the foods will give you uh the fiber too, yes, as opposed to juicing yes good and and fibers uh fiber's good for our immune system too, so you mentioned something there that's that's interesting i'm going to to jump ahead here um, in uh, what I was intending to ask next, but you mentioned that a lot of these individuals have g i problems, and what do you think the connection is? between the gut, uh, the gut being impaired, the flora in the gut, and so-called psychiatric uh, issues? The gut-brain
3: connection is really well-known and really well-characterized now in alternative medicine, less so in mainline medicine, mainstream medicine, but um, what is the connection? It's that uh, if you don't have proper digestion, well, okay, it's long been known that liver toxicity can produce an organic psychosis so that um, certain toxins that negatively impact the liver will immediately, that happening will produce metabolic byproducts that will... Impact your brain. That is well known in mainstream medicine. So now what we're dealing with is an internal, an, a gastrointestinal internal environment in which the flora is not right or digestion is impaired or there is some problem that is producing metabolic byproducts that impact your brain. I mean, there, it's, it's very clear. <clears throat> Corn. Corn is a common food allergy. And its most, it's most common. The most common symptom of reactivity to corn is depression. And there's corn, high fructose corn syrup in just about everything, in many things. But um, something about the metabolic byproducts of corn in that particular individual who is sensitive will produce a depression. Um, and. Given that corn is so ubiquitous, you can get a depre- that, that individual can get a depressive disorder just from inge- ingesting corn and corn byproducts. So, uh, it has to do with what? I think I, yeah, I think I got the, that's it, that's the answer.
2: Okay, so wait a minute. <laughs> so, so here I am, average Joe citizen, and I'm feeling depressed and I go to an average mainstream uh psychiatric practitioner and here I am eating the average American diet in which corn is ubiquitous and uh, there's other nasties floating around like uh sugars and MSG and stuff. And I sit down, I'm not asked about my diet and I'm given a psychotropic drug that can have harmful, dangerous side effects.
3: Right. Exactly. I mean, mainline medicine is dominated by the pharmaceutical industry, and they are not interested in having us use vitamins. They are not interested in having us alter our diets. They are interested in selling us pharmaceuticals.
2: What did uh, Dr. Hoffer describe as the tranquilizer dilemma?
3: Well, major tranquilizers will make a normal person sick. Okay, like... Risperdol, or if you took Risperdol, you would get a psychotic disorder from it. Um, it is, it would. Uh, major tranquilizers will make normal people sick. Therefore, when you give a major tranquilizer to a psychotic person, the um, the thought disorder starts to abate. It it starts to remove that symptom if you the correct tranquilizer, but um, the closer the patient gets to normal, the more likely the drug is to make them sick. The natural psychosis has been trans- translated into a tranquilizer psychosis. So um, what happens is that patient never gets all the way to wellness on, on, a, on the psychiatric med. And that is why many people quit taking them, because they make them feel somewhat better, but not normal. You know, not like they the way they used to feel or the way they know they should feel. So, um, so uh, it's a it's kind of there's a no win situation there. And what Hoffer did, it's really important, especially if someone is having a first time. If it's a, an acute thought disorder, it's really important to get that, under, that symptom under control as, quick as quickly as possible. So Hoffer intervened with meds and then moved the patient to diet and nutritional interventions, and he slowly withdrew the meds. Sometimes you can't withdraw it entirely. Sometimes you have to leave them on a certain amount of medicine. Very low dose, though, and that's quite different from the polypharmacy, which we have uh, going on all the time. Um, low dose med and then the nutrition and uh, correct diet um, stabilizes them and keeps them well. So that's what Hoffer did to deal with that.
2: So to get all the way to wellness, and I love that term you just used, all the way to wellness, you have to look at diet and nutrition and will you ever get well if there are things in your diet to which you're allergic? Whether you're labeled as schizophrenic, whether you're labeled as autistic?
3: I don't think so. I don't think you will get all the way to well. That is my, has been my experience. Now, I hate, you know, and I really find that in my patients and, uh, that's my opinion is what I can say.
2: Alright. Well, uh, I have a really long and complex sort of summary question that I want to ask you, and I doubt that we're going to be able to uh address it completely before the break, but uh here goes. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Is psychosis connected to metabolic impairments that result in nutritional deficits or temporary malnutrition due to diet or... uh drug-induced artifacts, And, and put another way, is psychosis a function of heavy metals and drug or chemical toxicity that isn't being cleared metabolically, or will drugs, metals, and malnutrition cause psychosis in anybody? It's really highly individual,
3: okay? If someone is not taking any drugs, then it's not drug artifact. okay? I mean, there are some people who very clearly get psychotic because they're monkeying around with street drugs. Okay, well that, I mean, that's pretty clear. Um, but it's, and also you have to think about the genetics of the individual. If the genetics are such that that methylation pathway is not going to function well or that the um, kidney, if the, if the genetics are such that their kidney is not going to excrete secondary metabolic byproducts from the liver well, um, then that person is going to be more likely to get some kind of thought disorder. Now, um, chronic nutritional deficits can also result in metabolic impairment and cause problems, but it's usually more that the genetic makeup of the individual plus what they're eating causes problems. Did I answer that?
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm thinking, too, about the times that um, up. I'll have to share that with you when we come back from break. Thanks for sponsoring Medical. We'll be right back with Dr. Nancy Mullen.
3: Okay. Uh,
4: there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1 888 200 4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
2: Opinions, Options,
3: Answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now, back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Dr. Nancy Mullen, and before the break, Dr. Mullen was answering a really long question uh, for us and talking about methylation, and you were going to pick up with that.
3: Okay. Methylation is the transfer of one carbon molecule, a tiny molecule. It's a one carbon atom and three hydrogen atoms. Um, however, the the attachment of this one methyl group—it's one carbon, three hydrogen—when that attaches to another molecule, um, it totally it can totally change the characteristics and the behaviors of that other molecule it's important in brain function the, uh, the 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 lining of the cells of the brain the membrane of the cells in the brain need to be methylated in order to function properly in order to be able to get nutrition that they need into the cell and excrete the byproducts that they don't need out of the cell that cell needs the cell membrane needs to be methylated it's important in, um, uh, neurotransmitter formation. Um, dopamine and norepinephrine and epinephrine are formed and deactivated using methylation reactions. Methylation reactions are tremendously important. Now, there's a, there's a cycle in our body which is called the methionine cycle, which has been, um, um, most deeply studied by Jill James, supported by the Dan Dan uh the Feed Autism Now uh program. Um, and that and Richard Deith has studied the fact that in attention deficit disorder the important the important uh dopamine receptor that he is looking at has a little methyl group producing cycle, a methylation cycle attached to it, so integrated within this receptor site. So um, what happens is um, methionine is an amino acid that is produced in our, that is is in meat and in protein. Um, Methionine has a methyl group and a sulfur group in it. Sulfur being really important for heavy metal detoxification. Well, the methyl group in methionine is ultimately, I'm going to spare you the agonizing details, especially without anything to look at in front of you. It'll be too confusing. So the methyl group um, is the methyl group that gets attached. Methionine goes through a cyclical process. In which it becomes accidental methionine, and then it becomes homocysteine, and then the homocysteine needs to be changed back into methionine by the addition of a methyl group to it, and that is where um, our most many of our kids are getting hung up, because there there is an enzyme which is called methionine synthase, which is crucial. It it is the enzyme that reattaches the methyl group to homocysteine. And in order for that to happen, it needs a certain form of folic acid and it needs B12. Those two vitamins have to be present. Those two B vitamins. Um, And methionine synthase has to function properly. Well, methionine synthase is killed dead by mercury, lead, aluminum, cadmium, and arsenic. Not surprised. Those, to- those, they are all toxic metals. Um, aluminum. I don't. Is aluminum? Yes, they are all toxic metals. Um, they will. The, aluminum also will interfere with other uh, processes. All the, all of these metals will interfere with other processes in the body. But methionine synthase um, will nanogram levels of methionine of, of um, mercury will stop methionine synthase dead for as many as ten days. And and uh, we and then we can't methylate properly and depending upon how, how the rest what the rest of your genetics looks like you'll be more or less impaired by the, mer- the, methyl in a f- the uh, mercury in a flu shot, okay? Um, which is the, mercury is the active ingredient in flu shots. They can't take it out of flu shots. Um, uh, so it's a major problem. And also many vaccines have aluminum in them as an excipient and without which the vaccine will not work. Um, Aluminum stimulates an immune response. So the vaccine just won't work as well without aluminum. And aluminum interferes with uh, uh, the reaction of uh, something called tetrahydrobiopterin. There needs to be this thing called tetrahydrobiopterin in your body. Um, in order for you to make neurotransmitters. And aluminum directly interferes with the production of that molecule, of BH4, it's called. Um, I could go on with all these chemical reactions. I mean, it's not a surprise that metals, which are toxic. We have known mercury is toxic uh, long before Lewis Lewis Carroll wrote about it in, in The Mad Hatter, with The Mad Hatter. Um, it, we've known that these metals are toxic. We just forget.
2: <laughs> well, let's, uh, We're going to pick up talking about this on October 6th, um, but just to, for me to try to give a bit of an elegant summary here to, to what you've just said, if you insult a person with heavy metals, then it's going to mess up their methylation and their cells aren't going to be able to conduct the processes they need to um, and that's going to show up as what's called a psychotic thought disorder. Yes. Okay. Yes. In the meantime, between now and October 6th, when we have the pleasure of speaking with you again, where can listeners look for more information?
3: Well, um, we have been, both of us, widely, um, quote, widely discussing an article uh, which is, let's see, lots of places, but... Perhaps easiest, it's on my website, Nancy Mullen, M-U-L-L-A-N-M-D dot com. You go to syndromes, and then go to nutritional treatment of psychiatric disorders, and that's basic. That's the article that we have basically been discussing, um, and and then also this methylation cycle, uh, that is also found in many places. And any of any of the listeners who are struggling with treating. Autism, uh, or who are, you know, are, um, familiar, at all familiar with it, um, that, the methyl, that methylation pathway can also be found on my website under charts and examples. So, um, and then where else? I mean, there are myriad places, uh, the Autism Research Institute website and, and the Autism One website and.
2: Okay. And you also list some books in your article, and uh, listeners, again, can find that at your website. Yes. We'll be back talking with Dr. Mullen on October 6th. Dr. Mullen, thank you for sharing this often underreported information that's integral to people taking back their own health naturally and avoiding the pitfalls of pills with dangerous side effects.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure.
2: And again, we'll be happy to hear from Dr. Mullen again in two weeks on October 6th. Next week, we'll be talking to Chef Wendell Fowler about whole foods for autism and a variety of chronic diseases and how political commercial interests in the dietary sector are ruining everybody's health. For more information about orthomolecular medicine, to which we alluded today and um, which we'll pick up within two weeks with Dr. Mullen, please visit www.orthomed.org, especially www.orthomed.org forward slash CSOM forward slash CSOM.html because the Canadian Society of Orthomolecular Medicine is hosting a public lecture on Friday, October 30th in Toronto featuring Dr. Ken Bach Healing the New Childhood Epidemic, Autism, ADHD, Asthma, and Allergies, with a medical education seminar for professionals following on Saturday. The Autism One Autism Canada Conference is also at the University of Toronto that same weekend. Please visit www.autismone.org. Thank you to this program, Sponsor Enza Medica, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.